Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Marissa Peer is a world-renowned speaker, rapid transformational therapy trainer, and best-selling author. She has nearly three decades of experience as a therapist and has been named Best British Therapist by Men's Health Magazine and has been featured in several publications. She uses all of her experience to inform her life-changing speeches and lectures and has been voted best speaker at numerous conferences, including the Mastermind Group in London, Women in Business Super Conference, and Awesome Fest. She is such an incredible teacher and an incredible therapist, uh, and I'm such a huge fan of her, so it was such an honor and privilege to get to meet her and to get to speak to her about everything that she does and one of my favorite books that she wrote, The Ultimate Confidence. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on her and tell me what you thought. The first thing is... um, how did you begin to do what you do? Um, as far as like, I know that I've heard stories of you talking about how, uh, there was somebody that told you once that they never saw you becoming anything more than just a nanny. And I kind of wanted you to speak to that a little bit for people out there who feel that like they're trapped in their career or like they feel like they can't move on from something that they're doing because they feel trapped. So I wanted you to share a little bit of your story on how you got there and how you got the courage to become this phenomenal entity in the world. Well, yeah, when I was in high school, I certainly was not um, labeled as smart or the girl likely to do anything. Um, I wasn't one of those kids that was the brightest, top of the class, won any prizes. And um, and I just, just decided that I would be a nanny. I thought that was the best job for me. I also was told I could never have children, which was quite a blow. So I thought being a nanny would be a good thing for me because I could look after other people's children. And now I look back and think, gosh, that's so bizarre. That that's, <laughs> that's all I strove to, being a nanny. And amazingly, my parents were quite supportive of the idea. And if my daughter said that to me, I'd say, well, you know, children are lovely, but you can do a lot better than that. But it just goes to show that some of the people that we kind of write off or say are not smart are actually incredibly smart. And I, I'm now teaching the Marissa Peer method to lots and lots of um, people all over the world who want to be therapists. And although you think that the therapists who come on the course to be better therapists would do the best, some of the people who've done the best have been personal trainers and beauticians because they've got those people skills. Mm-hmm. And they've really picked up the method and done so well with it. We had like a single parent who flew across from Australia and no therapy experience whatsoever. And she's done extraordinarily well because, you know, there's so much more than just being super smart. There's that intuition and empathy and all the other skills that we tend to write off. And yet they're very, very important. 
How do you how do you think we begin to develop that sense though, like that sense of intuition or listening to that inner voice? Because I feel like we, especially when we're young, it gets stifled by parents or you know it people does. in our lives. You know, it's like a muscle. Yeah, I mean, my my daughter's got that intuition, and it, it just depends whether you have someone who believes in that and encourages it, or someone who says, "Don't be silly." There's no such thing. But we we believe that intuition intuition is a gift. A bit that you either have or you haven't got. And that's simply not true. It's like any muscle. The more you use it, the better it is. And it's just a question of starting to trust your gut. You see, the gut is actually scientists or doctors call the gut the second brain. Your gut is so linked to your brain. We all talk about gut instinct. And so there's like, I knew I should have never gone to that party. I knew I shouldn't have trusted that person. I knew that investment was wrong. And when you work with tribes, they really use their gut. They trust their gut. And so the problem is in, this, in the modern world, we've been taught not to trust our gut instinct. And I would say go back and trust it because it's wired into your brain. It is your second brain, and it's usually right. Wow. And, of course, the more you trust it, the better it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. When was the first time that you actually felt that? Can you remember? Gosh, um, I think I felt it very, very early on. I had gut instinct. I can remember something when I was tiny, but now I look back at it, it's amazing that I had the foresight to do that, but I knew. But I remember once being in it when I was very young, like eight, I think, being in a very dangerous situation, and but I knew instinctively how to hide myself. So that, it stood me in very good stead, and it got me out of some sticky situations. So... And, of course, it's like everything. The more you use it, the more you feel comfortable using it, and then you use it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's important for us to be able to identify when when those, you know, little whispers happen within us, you know, and it just in our lives. Uh, is there a certain way to begin to develop that intuition or that sense of uh, security. I mean, I really feel like you, you speak to this a lot in all your books. You talk a lot about being confident. Well, I know as a therapist, one of the things I do is I sit very, very close to my clients. Always, I never have a desk or a barrier. I sit right up next to them, shoulder to shoulder. Because when you're very close to someone, you tend to pick up what they're thinking and feeling. And I know one of my graduates, one of my first courses, said, it's so weird. I was practicing with them and I knew what they were going to say before they said it. So well that's the whole point. When you're very when you're near someone, you pick stuff up from them. Mm. So you just have to trust it. You know, my daughter always laughs because I when she was very little I told her I could tune in to lost things. And my husband <laughs> always laughs because I say, Well I just ask my feet where something is and they take me to it. And although he laughs Whenever you come with his keys, he comes and he goes, oh, babe, ask your feet where my keys are, my phone are, my cards are. And it's just, it sounds so silly, but it's another thing. It's like this belief that you'll wake up at the right time. Yeah. No, I don't use alarm clocks. If you believe something, it tends to happen. And if you don't believe it, it tends to not happen. So it, it's a belief. Just keep telling yourself things. that I'll remember that will come to me. That will work out. I'll get that exactly right. Because the more you tell yourself that, the more it tends to be true. Partly because your mind doesn't really care if what you tell it is right or wrong, or true or false, or healthy or unhealthy. It just lets it in. It's like people who say, I can't remember anything, as opposed to I've got a fantastic memory. If I eat that cake, I gain a pound. I'm just saying, well, I just burn off whatever I eat. 
you know, since your mind accepts whatever you tell it, and we know that, you really should start telling your mind amazing things and watching how effective it is. Yeah, I mean, I think that people don't realize, and you do a lot of this work uh, as well, the, just the power of the mind or the power of what you tell yourself. It's like whatever your mantra is, whatever you tell yourself, you'll you'll become. And so why do you think people still have a hard time telling themselves positive things? Well, I think we're, we're raised in a country where we have this very weird belief that you mustn't be arrogant and saying to yourself, I'm really good at what I do is a sign of arrogance and we don't like that. But you know, that's not true. When I go to see a doctor or um, if when I was talk, take, took it, looking at schools for my daughter, I wanted the school that said we are the best school with the best results. Whenever I've had to consult a surgeon, I certainly want to go to one who goes, I am the best. You're, <laughs> you're dealing with the best. Right. You know, when I go to a new country, one of the first things is, what's the best restaurant in town? What's the best hotel in town? I never go, what's the most mediocre, the most average, because I want to go there. <laughs> and then when I'm looking at, even on Airbnb, if I'm looking for a place, I look for the reviews, and I want to go to the one that's got five-star reviews, right. and it's got three, I don't go. So we all know in our heart that we like the best. You know, we want to go to, so if BA is voted the best airline, that's the one I want to go on. If um something is voted the worst, I don't want to go on that one. So it's, it's a strange thing that we like the best and we know that the best reassures us. And we certainly know that um, we are very reassured. I mean, I remember flying on a plane once and we hit the most horrific turbulence and the pilot came on board. And he went, oh, please don't worry. I do this flight every week. I'm British Airways' best um, pilot. I'm the most experienced, the most distinguished. This is just a little diversion. In 10 minutes, we'll be out of it. And none of us went, well, that's so arrogant. That pilot, how big head is it? We're on a flight with the best pilot BA has in this trailer, and he's going to get us out of it. He made us feel better. And yeah. I know when my previous partner had cancer, and I took him to see a surgeon, and the surgeon said, I happen to be the best surgeon, and I will fix you. You're going to live. I didn't think. He's arrogant. I don't want to see him. I'm like, yep, you're the one we're going for because you've just told us you're the best and you will fix him. Whereas the previous surgeon said things like, well, I'm going to do my best and I'll try. You know, we have to do this and see what happens. If that doesn't work, we'll do something else. He didn't inspire any faith. We wanted to I'm the best and you're in great hands and I will fix you. It was the one that got our money and my ex-partner is still alive many years later because we had the foresight to find the best. Yeah. Where do you think that line begins to get drawn, though, Marissa, when, you know, it is maybe, oh, I mean, is there anything, any such thing as overconfidence or being a little arrogant? Well, you like, see, you see, people who are arrogant don't think they're the best. They think they're not the best, and they're very busy. They're not really trying to convince you. They're trying to convince themselves. Oh. So if you watch X Factor, you're like, I'm the best, I'm amazing, I'm with open their mouth, and you think, oh, you're really not. And other people say, well, you know, I can sing and I've been told that I've got a wonderful voice. And they open their mouth and they go, yes, you have. Here's the difference between people who are genuine. They only ever have to be good at one thing. Like, I would never say I'm the best cook. I'm amazing at feng shui. Oh, my God, I'm so remarkable at speaking six languages. I'm not, actually. I'm very poor at languages. And I don't love cooking. I have to be married to someone who does, luckily. <laughs> I'm the best therapist. But that's what I'm the best at. That is my gift. 
And I would never run around going, oh, I'm brilliant at everything. There's so many things I'm not good at. But, you know, if you go to a fantastic restaurant, they won't say, here's our great chef. They go, here's our great meat chef, and this is the pastry chef, Mm -hmm. and this is the dessert chef. And if you go to a great school, they go, this is the most wonderful English teacher, and here's our science teacher. Because nature doesn't like to be the best at everything. It normally gives you a gift in one area. And when you find that gift and when you you utilize and develop confidence and then share it with other people, you have meaning and purpose. And so arrogant people go, I'm good at everything, me. Yeah, I'm just perfect at everything. And that's arrogance. But they don't believe it. Arrogance is not that different to lack of confidence because it's both things. But people who are truly gifted will just say, I'm a wonderful singer. And Nigella Lawson, who's a marvelous cook, said, I could never play with my children. I was just good at cooking. Mm. We have someone in London called Jane Asher, who is absolutely famous for cakes. She writes books about cakes. She has a television show about cakes. Mm. She's not making chicken recipes anytime soon, (laughs) just cakes. That's her speciality. And so it isn't arrogant because she just says, my gift is cakes. And she made a lot of money from that gift. But she's not out there inventing sushi recipes or Mexican food. Right. How do we begin to hone in on, on those things that we're, that we should focus on to, to build our confidence? Well, first of all, that what you're meant to do in life is absolutely connected and lies directly behind what you love to do. So look at what you love to do between the age of seven and 14 because that is an absolute key to your unique skills, to your area of excellence. And then to develop confidence, you see, people get very confused with confidence, and they think confidence is what other people think of you. You know, if I said to you, Rosie, I hold you in the highest esteem, esteem means what you think of you. And so we spend so much time trying to make other people like us, trying to make other people impressed with us, trying to make our boss, our boyfriend, our friends think we're the best thing. And in fact, all you have to do is like yourself, believe in yourself, say to yourself every day, I like myself, I've got some lovely qualities, I'm warm, I'm kind, I'm smart, I'm caring, I'm intelligent. If you start to believe in yourself and like yourself, the wonderful thing is other people like you to the degree that you like you. And they're uncomfortable around you to the degree that you feel bad about yourself. So if you really, really believe in yourself and like yourself and think you're amazing, everyone around you will do the same thing. You know, I was looking only two days ago to picture of um, uh, Keely and... Oh, gosh, it's just gone right out of my mind, but I've got a great memory. It'll come back. They're like the James Bond. Anyway, oh, yeah. I'll come back to this in a minute. Uh, the, the lovely English guy. But it'll come back to me. But, for instance, Trudy Style, you know, she's got a, a quite a bad scar on her face, but she's always thought she was stunningly beautiful. Uh, Camilla Parker Bowles, very interesting that Charles left a beautiful girl for an older woman, but she, Camilla thinks she's the hottest thing on the planet. She's really, really confident. And that's actually very good. When you believe in yourself, other people do too. And there's several women who are not gorgeous but are married to men 
who think they are, and that's the trick. If you think you are gorgeous and wonderful and sexy, you'll find you have a husband who absolutely thinks that too. However, if you are gorgeous and beautiful and sexy, but you're not good enough, you'll attract someone who also starts to reject you. My neighbors are always amazed the amount of supermodels that come through. I don't think, oh, what's wrong with them? I mean, they're just gorgeous. I mean, but they don't think they are. They, because in a model, there's always a younger, taller, thinner girl coming up right behind you. Right. They always feel unattractive. And that's such a shame. Yeah. So it's all about what you think. So when you're going out every day, don't say to your friend, do I look okay? Don't say to your husband, just do, do, do I look fat in this? Just say, I look gorgeous. I look wonderful and warm and happy and I'm amazing. Because if you believe it, it starts to come out of your pores and everyone else will believe it too. Yeah, I'm, I I. mean, that's so... I, I love that and I love what you're saying because I think it's it's so true. What advice do you give um, one of your clients that's working on all these things, but they're surrounded by people that continue to tell them that they're not those things? Maybe it's a parent. Well, you have maybe to not let that. Yeah, and, and so when people say things like, oh, you look awful in that color, or those clothes are too tight, or you should never have cut your hair, it doesn't suit you, just say, thank you for sharing that. I happen to love my hair like this or I feel great about my body even if it's not true when you let critics know that you are not going to let it in they tend to move on because a critical person they usually feel so bad about themselves that they want you to feel bad too and then they feel equal and there's a saying that says a miserable man finds a more miserable man then he's happy um, but you don't, just don't let it in. You'll always find people that are mean and diminishing. And I mean, I know that as a writer. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm very lucky that when I go onto Amazon, my books have 96% phenomenal reviews. But there's always someone going, I hate that person. <laughs> Does she know? And some of them are seriously mean. Oh, but luckily, I can just choose not to let that in. So, yeah. You know, I have a lot of videos on YouTube, and again, on the whole, the responses are lovely, but there's always a few that go, I can't stand that narcissistic English bitch. Um, she's so pompous and full of herself, which isn't true, but I look at it, and I don't think, oh, my God, what am I going to take for my footage down? And I just think, I must be really sad to sit in your house full of venom and direct it at someone that you don't even know. Yeah. But you just don't have to let it in. Yeah. And if you don't let it in, it's amazing. It, it, in fact, when I do a lot of radio shows and they say, please give our listeners or our audience one tip, one of the tips is do not let in criticism. People who criticize you are usually having a very bad day and they often don't mean it and they often feel bad about themselves. You know, I've met a lot of clients who've gone back to the school reunion and found a bully that ruined their life and have gone up and said, you know, you were so often the bullies like, really? I was just so envious of you. I didn't mean it. I just was jealous of you. And so I put you down, but I had no idea that I hurt you to that extent. And so people aren't sitting at home rejecting you, going, yes, I'm not calling you. I'm rejecting you. Because they forget to call you or they, they're mean. I mean, you know, I love my daughter. I love my husband. But I've had moments of being mean and snappy, especially if I'm tired or stressed or overworked. Um. But it's not personal. Yeah. And here's another interesting thing. For something to really hurt you, it has to be what I call three Ps. 
triple P. It has to be permanent, has to be personal, has to be all pervasive. That means it has to go on all the time. Let's imagine your boss is really nasty and snidey. I remember my boss years ago, I was getting married, and when I told her, she said, how on earth have you got your fiancé to marry you? I thought, wow, that's a really nasty comment. So I just laughed and said, well, you know, it's called love. We happen to love each other. I thought, I'm not going to let that. I'm not going to say to her, how dare you say that or be really sarcastic. I just smiled and said, we love each other. And that was it. But... um. Don't let it in. So let's imagine you've got a boss like that boss I had. First of all, that's not personal because she was like that with everyone. She had no love in her life. And so she, anyone who had love, she was really mean and snipey. But it wasn't personal. Mm-hmm. Certainly wasn't permanent because when I was at home with that lovely fiancé, she wasn't around. So it wasn't permanent, wasn't personal. Um, I knew I'd be leaving that job eventually, so again, it wasn't permanent. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't all pervasive, which means it goes on all the time. It wasn't happening at weekends, in the evening. It wasn't happening when she wasn't always in the office. So for something to get you, it has to be permanent, personal, and all pervasive. And it very, very rarely is. Mm. I mean, what sort of, I mean, things maybe like that we've gone through in life that perhaps have all the three P's can potentially be all pervasive though, right? Well, there's very, what what can you think of that is like that, that's permanent or pervasive and personal? I mean, yeah, maybe your first boyfriend dumped you, but you know what? If you look at Catherine Zeta-Jones, her first two fiancés dumped her and I'm sure they hurt her tremendously. And one of the reasons she came to America was because she'd been so bitterly and publicly rejected. And then what happened? She met Michael Douglas. She became Hollywood royalty. I think she wakes up every day and goes, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for having those two other fiancés dumped me because here I am. It's the best thing that ever happened. Yeah, so true. if you think of the job you got fired from, the, the boyfriend, girlfriend that dumped mm-hmm. you, the best friend that, that um, dumped you and replaced you, you probably look back and think, thank God for that. I mean, my first was when I was 17, dumped me, and he did break my heart. He was my first love, and many, many years passed, and I was in the paper. Uh, there was a, wrote, wrote an article about me hypnotizing writers, and he contacted me, so I'd love for you to come and see me. I never really got over you, which was strange, because he dumped me. But I went to see him, and I walked in the house, and I was thinking, oh, my God, thank you, God, so much. Thank you so much for having this guy dumped me when I was 17, because I'd still be with him, I'd still be my life, and and now um, I look back and think of the jobs I got fired from, the opportunities that I got, over- I got overlooked from, the friends that moved on from me, and they all, in their own way, shaped me. And yeah. I wouldn't go back and have any of those things if I could. Yeah. So you you do a lot of work with people um, with you know weight loss, and I know you do hypnotherapy with people trying to you know lose weight and. Um, you know, change their habits. Um, and they're really fantastic programs. And I know actually a lot of people that have done them that it's worked. So, uh, I think it's really incredible. One of the things I wanted to ask you about in regard to just habits and, and breaking habits is the area where we begin to sabotage ourselves. And I just wanted to hear you, you know, tell us a little bit about why we sabotage ourselves and what we can do to prevent us from sabotaging ourselves. 
Okay. Oh, it's Pierce Brosnan I was thinking about. Pierce Brosnan oh, has Pierce a Brosnan. lovely wife. And oh, he yeah. truly loves her, but she's very heavy. I was on a plane once, and he was sitting opposite me, and the stewardess came around and said, would you like cake? And he said, no, I don't like cake, but my wife would love some cake. Mm-hmm. And he served his wife cake, and you could see he adores her. Mm. And yet, a lot of people said, she's so heavy. I know when um, Heath Ledger died, people were very mean about his girlfriend, Michelle, saying, oh, she's not pretty enough for yeah. him. But when you have a sense of yourself, the person you're with will pick up what you think about you. It's got nothing to do with your size of your hips or the age or even the labels you wear. It's to do with what you think you are. So sabotage is interesting. I mean, I see a lot of people who go on countless diets and pay for liposuction and gym membership and then sabotage their success at weight. I see a lot of people who become very successful and then sabotage themselves with strange behavior mm-hmm. like you know, drugs or being out of control. We also Whitney, sorry, we also Britney Spears cutting off her hair. We all watched Amy Winehouse and Whitney Houston, even Philip Seymour Hoffman self-destruct. And the reason people do that, what I call the self-destructive talent, is because they think they don't deserve it. They're not worth it. So if you meet a nice guy and find yourself acting badly until he dumps you or cheating on him, if you find yourself sabotaging the wonderful job you've got or even sabotaging your weight, it's usually because at some level you believe you're not worth it. Mm. You don't deserve that success. It came too easily. There are other issues with weight, too. The most common one is that I don't really feel good enough and I'm scared of being rejected. And as long as I'm a bit heavy, I can blame it. Oh, that guy would have liked me if I was 20 pounds thinner. I would have got that job if I was 10 pounds thinner. And the weight problem is not really the problem at all. What it is is it's a belief that says, I don't really deserve this success or I'm not worthy And to fix that, you have to go back and imagine yourself as a tiny newborn baby and you have to start saying things like, you know, I do deserve it. I am worthy. I I deserve love. Um, I'm worthy of success. You know, no baby on the planet comes onto the planet thinking, I don't deserve love. No baby um, starts off on life with a belief that says... um, I don't deserve success. You know, when I, when I was having a baby, I never thought, well, I, she could be pretty or she could be smart, but she can't be both. <laughs> you absolutely can be both. And, and, you know, when you have babies, you want them to have everything. Right. So it's this crazy belief that says you can have one or the other. You can have um, success, but you can't have love. You can be pretty or smart, but you can't be both. And you can can you absolutely can be everything and you should be everything yeah yeah well that goes in a line with people trying to find love or a partner in their life right it's like i until i lose x amount of pounds or until i get the perfect job or until i feel confident then i'll start looking for love in my life that's right. another interesting concept that says it's got to be really hard work. You know, if I want to track love, I've got to go to the gym. I've got to shave my legs. I've got to put on fake tan. I've got to work, work, work to earn it. Because we believe that something that simple can't work. And yet the stuff that I do is so simple. And yet the, the, the results it gets, the I'm enoughness, for instance, it's totally out of all proportion to the effort that goes in, which is minimal. And if you want love, 
tell yourself every day, I'm lovable. Just say, I'm lovable, lovable, lovable. I deserve love and I'm worthy of love. Because people don't fall in love with you because you've got a perfect leg. They don't fall in love with you because you're a perfect size 10. They fall in love with you because you're lovable. And um, if you know you're lovable, then um, that's all you need. I mean, we see models getting dumped every day. It's perfect. We see people... I mean, there are people living on yachts right now who are millionaires, beautiful, and they're depressed. So we know that and happiness is not linked to the size of your hips or the size of your bank balance or how glossy your hair is. We know that. It's linked to how, what you feel about you. And if you change that, everyone else will think you're lovable too. And it's not arrogance. It's just... You know, my little girl used to come in the room and go, Mommy, what do I look like in this dress? I'd always say, what do you think? She said, I think I look beautiful. I said, well, that's the most important thing, darling. Not what I think, it's what you think. Well, she'd come in wearing moon boots and a a summer dress. Or she'd come in with all these mismatched clothes. I'd always say, what do you think? I think I look amazing. (laughs) And so important because children do come in, you know, with the funniest clothes and... Wearing mum's shoes and lipstick smeared all over their ear, and they think they look fantastic. <laughs> and it's a, such a shame that we stop that. Yeah. And we, we, we minimize that and we start to tell them the opposite. Well, what, so, and, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's all about you. Why do you think, it, you know, I kind of wanted to go back to what you were talking about earlier about when you work with people and how, how you sit close to them because you can uh, feel them better or you don't want to create separation. I think with the way that we are, and I, and I love technology, I love social media, I love to be able to connect with people all over the world and, and at different times, and I think it's a beautiful thing, but do you think that where we are now in our society, we're kind of missing some of that physical connection with other people? Yeah, we, we see the problem is that we have is that we're scared of rejection, you know, and here's why. When we lived in tribes, if we were rejected, we would probably die. We know to this day that if you're a little lion cub or a giraffe cub and your mother doesn't like you, you're not going to make it. You know, we often see that in zoos that the polar bear is rejected by the mother and they've got to go in and get it out or it will, be, it will die. Mm. And human beings are not so different. Not many years ago, certainly... 500 years ago, if we weren't accepted, we could die. And so from this, what happens is that we come onto the planet with two powerful drivers, two needs. I must find connection and avoid rejection. But the thing is now, you're not going to die from rejection. You could live in a little apartment with six cats and never see anyone and get all your groceries. You could live until you were 110. You can no longer die from rejection because nobody can reject you without their permission. I mean, you could say to me, I really don't like you. I hate your English accent. And I think you're really phony. But if I don't let that in, that, that can't, I can't die from that rejection. And so it, it's really up to you. But the thing that affects us is we fear rejection so much. We shut ourselves away. That, that boy broke my heart into a million pieces. I, I'd rather be on my own than ever fall in love fall in love again. Mm-hmm. My boss fired me in front of the whole office and now I could never get a job like that again because I just couldn't cope with the rejection. Human beings are so resilient and so powerful and we all get rejected. 
But if you decide that people cannot reject you without your permission, then even when they do reject you, it doesn't hurt. You know, as I said, I've got horrible reviews to cover my books. And it doesn't, I don't go and think, I'm never writing again. That person hated my book. I just think, well, that's a shame. But, you know, what other people think of me is really none of my business. What matters is what I think of me. I happen to like my books. I think they're very good. And um, they're selling very well. So the fact that a few people don't like them is irrelevant. It, it, you know, we give so much of our power away by saying, oh, they don't like me, or that person hurt me, they put me down, made me feel bad. I mean, I work with so many teenagers that are so obsessed with what other people mm-hmm. think of them. And social media has made that so much worse. I go, listen, what do you think of you? That's what matters. What do you think of you? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. I want to be respectful of your time. So I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, already so much good information. <laughs> this is so great. Um, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you uh, personally, in what area of your life do you feel the most free? The most free? Probably love, actually. I have a wonderful husband. A lovely. I did everything the wrong way around. I was a single parent. I raised my daughter alone. I got married um, when I was 50 years old. And now I have a lovely husband, a gorgeous, you know, grown-up daughter. I have his children in my life, too. And it really doesn't matter which way you do it. You know, I started off at school. I felt inadequate. In my teens, I felt inadequate. I got asked to leave college. Um, and yet my life is so lovely now. And the thing is, that it doesn't matter how awful it is in the beginning because you forget all of that. And, you know, one of my clients said to me once, and it's so true, it doesn't matter how long it takes to climb a mountain because when you get to the top, the view is exactly the same. So getting to the mountain of being loved and married was a little longer for me, but I've got the same view as people who got that when they were 20. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't have loved my husband the way I do when I was 20 because he was right for me as I got older and I'm right for him so I love that but I have real success in my career but that's because I do what I love and I love what I do and it's very hard to have that confidence in your 20s you know nature gives you that and nature's quite smart just as the looks fade and the body loses its perfect tone in comes great confidence and when we see 20 year olds that are perfect with confidence that we don't like them actually we find they throw us so it's kind of weird that first you get the great body and the glossy hair but you never appreciate it and then when that starts to dim a little bit and sag a little bit you get this great confidence so it's, it's rather lovely so it just it works I guess there's it's the balance it really works nature's very smart it knows what it's doing nature would never we'll say oh your school days are the best days of your life are you kidding do you think nature would really go let me give put you on the planet make the first few years the best and it's all downhill no that's not true it gets better and better Oh, that's good. That's, that's really, that's exciting. And, and that's something really important to, I think, take in for everyone in, in this world. What are some words of wisdom that you live by? And my biggest words of wisdom, I'm enough. I mean, I have that written all over my house. I have it in my mirror. I have it in my fridge. My phone alerts go off every day at 8am and 8pm and say so I'm enough. And if any of your read listeners want to feel good about themselves, just go onto YouTube and I have a YouTube video, and it's called I'm Enough. Just put in Marissa Peer, I'm Enough. 
And it, people love it because yeah. it's so simple. When you say things like, I'm a goddess, I'm a rock star, you might go, no, you're not. You're living in a shared apartment, driving a car that's 15 years old. You're not a rock star. When you say, I am enough, you might go, of course you are. You see, it lets it in. It doesn't argue with that. When you say, I'm a goddess, it goes, well, you've got cellulite. How can you be a goddess? And people don't understand. They try all these affirmations that don't work because they don't understand that the mind will let in something if it's simple and to the point, I am enough. Just saying those words will change your entire life, and we should all do that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I've sent that video to so many people, Marissa, and, you know, the ultimate confidence and, you know, telling people to write it everywhere. I mean, I have it printed on my wall in, in a big, on a big canvas. Um, I'll, I'll send you a picture of it because I think you'll love it. It's so love cool. It's so great. And you see, when you say that, when you say I'm enough, and when you start saying it to your children every day, let's all just say I'm enough. When you start your day with those words, I'm enough, it makes you a better parent. It definitely makes you a better employee, employer. It makes your kids go to school knowing that they're enough. And a lot of things like bullying will we'll stop because it's very hard to change the world. But if you can change yourself and change your feelings in the process just by saying, I'm enough, then that is how you change the world. Yeah. Don't change the world, just change people. And yeah. then you have to change a few because then they will change people. And if we all felt we were enough, a lot of the things we suffer from, bullying and trolling, wouldn't really exist. No, so if you want to change anything, that's a good thing to change. Mm, so good. Um, okay, the last the last bit here is um, so I created radically love to be a forum to uh, put the message out in the world that we are all gifted. We're all incredible human beings. We're all capable of really incredible things, and know that we are all radically loved, right? And we have the right to radically loved everything about our lives even the imperfections, right? So uh, my question to you is, what, how do you feel radically loved and what do you radically love? Well, I think um, I'd always listen to Muhammad Ali or, you know, George, the greatest learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. You see, when you love... It doesn't fade. You don't have to show your legs to love yourself. So the beginning of a lifelong romance is love yourself because that love doesn't dim, doesn't say, it doesn't disappoint you. The more you can love yourself with other people, it stops you having terrible arguments with your spouse because when they say to them, you're lazy or you're selfish or you're difficult, you just don't let it in. They say, well, maybe I am, but I'm still lovable. So love yourself, and that doesn't make you selfish. It doesn't make you alone. It makes you easier to be with, and it makes other people like you more. So the beginning of a lifelong romance is to love yourself and love other people. And remember, you don't have to be perfect to love yourself. In my experience, people who try to be perfect are without question the loneliest people in the world because they're not perfect the basis of all friendships is that we pick people who share our vulnerabilities. So people who try to be perfect appear not to have any vulnerabilities. And in my experience, people who think they're perfect are alone. They're very lonely. They're very unhappy. And you don't need to be perfect. You just need to be you. 
Oh, thank you, Marissa. Thank you so, thank you so much for taking the time to do this and to talk to our listeners and to just share your knowledge with the world and for all the work that you're doing out in the world. You're making such a huge impact on men and women all over the world, and I just am deeply, deeply grateful for you and everything that you do. So thank you so much. Is there anything that you want to share with our listeners? Where can we get more information? Oh, well, if you go to marissapeer.com, very simple, M-A-R-I-S-A-P-E-E-R.com, we're always giving away free audios and free things. And if you want to find out about training to do what I do to be a therapist like me, just go to rapidtransformationaltherapy.com and you can find out all about our live courses and our online courses that train you to do what I do. Okay, and is there, do you, are you on social media at all? Do you hang out there? Is there one that you like Oh, in yes, I'm on Facebook. Oh. I'm so lucky, I've got Marissa Pooh as my name. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, <laughs> I'm on Instagram. But really, my website is the best place because it always has offers, giveaways, free things. We're always giving away. We, at the moment, we're giving away a free mini confident self-esteem course. We're giving away a course called Wealth Wiring. And we're giving away lovability. So it's important to us. Every month we give away all kinds of programs to help you become abundant, wealthy, to have self-esteem. So the best place to go is marissavere.com because we'll give you lots of free stuff. Yay! We love it. Thanks, Marissa. Thank you so much. And you don't have to give your credit card details. Yeah, no credit cards. No credit cards are involved. You just go on there and you just type it and you get the courses. It's so great. Exactly. All right. Thank (laughs) you. Stay there. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit www.radicallylove.com forward slash podcast to read all about today's guests or past guests. You can click on any of the links or for more information, you can always follow me on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or Twitter at Rosie Acosta and let us know what you thought. 